The following program is paid for by its sponsors, who are solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are not necessarily the views of WMAL. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this, too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Great to be here as we move through uh, the month of August and then get ready, J. Doc, for what will be a fantastic 12-week run in the in the. Uh, fall month starting in September, we're going to really increase the um, the campaign per se on changing the narrative, staying true to why the labor and energy show is in existence. And we're going to make a full court press uh, now that we've reached the point of the fall here in year number two. Uh, excited to be here. We've got a great guest lined up, two great guests lined up uh, for today's show. Absolutely, Joe. And, and I'm excited for the fall as well. As we expand our initiative in educating the public, our policymakers, and of course our labor community. Um, and having said that, today you're right. We do have a great show, Joe. Uh, certainly, uh, we have uh, John Versicelli, former deputy speaker of the New New Jersey uh, Assembly, uh, and a candidate again for the New Jersey State Senate District Three, and Jim Appleton, who's the president of uh, New Jersey Coalition of Automotive Retailers, aka New Jersey Car. And Joe, a lot of times, recently we've been talking a lot about uh, electric vehicle mandates. And um, we're, we're going to continue that conversation today, not because we're obsessed with cars, okay? Because there's so much more to this issue. It literally impacts so much of our lives, uh, typically, and, and, and the mandates. That's really the focus. We're all supportive of, of electric vehicles coming into the market, excited about it, if you will. However, um, we, you know, we have New Jersey, uh, who's uh, following in uh, California's footsteps and, and, and creating the uh, and, and being a part of uh, the uh, EV mandate so that it, uh, as of 2035 uh, in New Jersey, they'll only based upon this initiative, they'll only be able to sell uh, electric vehicles. And there's, it impacts so many people. It's so not necessary. And, you know, we're going to talk about those issues and how they'll, they'll impact us and what the public thinks of them and of course our political leaders our platform is to educate and we're starting to see more and more people go to apple or spotify and download uh the labor and energy show you can do that as well if you miss the live broadcast or you miss the broadcast on youtube just go to apple or spotify and search the labor and energy show delaware i imagine is another state j doc that falls into uh, that category we've had some conversations i actually had um a conversation uh with a gentleman this week a listener of the show um you know who brought up his own personal concerns uh, about what that mandate could potentially mean to him financially so i know or we know that the listening audience and as you said the topic affects them uh, individually. It meets each one of these, uh, each one of the listeners, each member of the community at a different point in the spectrum where they are. So it's an important conversation for sure. No question about it. Just to give you an example of why organized labor, you know, is involved in this, uh, you know, this fight, if you will. It, the fact of the matter is, and you hear all the conspiracy theorists and all that stuff, and you know, you just tune it out. But China owns the supply chain for electric vehicles, okay? Manufacturing, uh, wholesale distribution, the mining of the materials that it takes. And literally speaking, we're shutting, you know, we, we have uh, politicians that are shutting down, a lot of our political leaders that are shutting down the internal combustion engine uh, automobiles, you know, gas-fueled uh, cars, uh, and, and handing the entire industry over. If, if they had their way, and, it, and, it, and in many states, as you're seeing, including New Jersey, uh, the governor 
is is literally mandating that as of 2035, and by the way, it rolls back into 2026, I believe that's when it starts, um, we won't be able to buy gas fuel cars. So the fact of the matter is all those jobs uh, and, 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 and that entire, uh, you know, chain, okay, supply chain uh, that goes into the uh, EV process is owned by, you know, China. We're going to lose all that work. And let me just say one thing. We all care about our environment, big time. You know, everybody. And it's a priority. But we just can't, you know, shut things down and hope for a good result and, you know, click a switch and, and, and turn our entire auto industry upside down and lose the entire industry. We need to try other solutions, work together and make things work. EVs are great. We want them into the market, but not at not at a mandated uh, in, in a mandated manner. Yeah, I let the market determine whether or not they have an appetite for an eat uh, for an EV vehicle and let it fall the way it normally would fall uh, here in um, our great country. Uh, the United States. Before we get to our first break and then get into the show, just quickly, Jay Doc, let's give the listening audience um, a reference on our upcoming guest who's going to join and go one-on-one with you after the break, and then I'll get into a commercial break. Yeah, no, uh, John Bersatelli, uh, like I said, is uh, a for- the former mayor of Paulsboro, uh, represented the third general assembly district for 20 years, uh, recent- most recently deputy speaker of the assembly, and again is uh, running for the seat. And so uh, fascinating individual has has had the wherewithal, uh, you know, to stand up uh, a, 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 and oppose Governor Murphy's efforts uh, to ban gas stoves uh, and, and gas uh, powered cars. And I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic and looking forward to the conversation. We'll get to that opening segment with Jay Doc as after this commercial break, you're listening and you're watching the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. Back in a moment. We're back with uh John Versatelli, candidate for the New Jersey Senate District 3, longtime assemblyman and, of course, uh, longtime mayor of Paulsboro. Uh, John, welcome to the broadcast. Joe, happy to be here. Uh, really appreciate the work this show does uh, in presenting information that allows people to have a flow a flow and a point of reference to you know reach reach conclusions. So uh, education, you guys use that word a couple of times in your opening. It, it really means a lot because, you know, Americans are smart. First of all, they're smart to not want to work and be on vacation more than they're working, but they're also very smart if approached correctly and given the time to absorb and to reach conclusions. So often people forget that. And John, I appreciate that. And um, We do the labor show here in Philadelphia. Been doing it for nine years. Okay. Uh, proud Democrats. Uh, you're a Democrat as well. Uh, and and uh, certainly I've been passionate about, uh, you know, a lot, you know, especially labor issues, but across the board, um, this energy issue, is something that's been hard to wrap my head around, man. And so many things have happened um, since we got involved, since they shut down the PES refinery in, in Philly. And by the way, uh, Joe Krause and I, uh, you know, we're, we're just like a lot of our friends, family, and our, our, our co-workers and our labor members, um, all kitchen table environmentalists. We all care about it, okay? But did we know the facts and the information? And are we making decisions that really, in a sense, if you just have a little bit of information, not a lot, okay? You can make an educated get a decision on on what's really going on, and 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 of course, the, a lot of these mandates, uh, electric vehicle mandates, and of course, uh, you know the the, the stove uh, <laughs> the stove you know uh, mandates uh, in the kitchen uh, in your kitchen for crying out loud. Um, you got to educate yourself. And so one of the things I wanted to say, and by the way, uh, John, you're no stranger to the broadcast. We you know we're happy to have you back on. Um, you made news recently when when you announced that you opposed Governor Murphy's efforts to ban gas stoves and even gasoline powered cars by 2035. OK, your leadership on that issue and those, you know, and what we look at as extreme policies, um, it was actually a, a breath of fresh air. Uh, instead of coming up with common sense policies on our own, uh, many of our, uh, our Democratic leaders, unfortunately, including Governor Murphy, seem to have adopted these extreme policies. That seem to leave out the facts and details when it comes to these critical energy issues. If you would, how, how did this happen? Okay, like I said, we all care about the the environment, but in a sense, it's almost like being a part in, in the twilight zone. Well, 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 Joe, a couple of points. First of all, um, you know, mandates mandates are are always always not well received, especially in the third legislative district, which I represent, which is a good part of which I represented, which is a good part of Gloucester County, all of Salem County and part of Cumberland County. 
and and I think statewide as well. You know, you, you got to educate people and get them to a point. But also, you know, you you understand the the world of labor, so you understand negotiations. A lot of times, people that have a position and are in a position to say mandate, do that, do that as leverage and part of pushing their chips into the table. Say, okay, we're going to do a mandate by this date, and then the negotiations begin of what that mandate looks like. Does it really happen? Doesn't it happen? What what are the components? How, you know, how much of the, of, of the goal of the mandate do they actually in the end get? It becomes part of the bigger negotiation. And that's why I've got to have the right people in, in, in New Jersey circumstances. You've got to have the right people at the state house because that's going to be a tug of war and a fist fight and all the things that go along with it. And you got to stay focused. So, you know, it's, the governor can say what he wants to say, but, you know, there, there's, there's two legislative bodies that have to participate. In particular, on the gas stove thing, I think, frankly, I think the administration was attempting to do an end run around the legislative process to use the BPU to establish a mandate. Then there was early pushback by a number of people, myself included. I'm just a small voice. And the and the BPU, and I know all those those people there, they're very good people. They said, wait a second, you know, we got to rethink this. And they went back to the approach to do maybe an incentive program. And as I said publicly a couple of times, I'm a, a customer of South Jersey Gas. The bill comes 12 months a year, whether I'm using gas or not using gas in the summertime. And uh, ratepayers here just paid for a major infrastructure upgrade to go to high pressure lines all through the system because the demand for natural gas has grown so much. Uh, so, so you know, that, that investment's got to be recouped. Uh, I have natural gas in my house. Uh, I don't think we I don't think we cook with it as little as Janice uses the kitchen. I'm not sure. I don't know why we still have a kitchen, by the way. Yeah, we, we probably should use that space for something else. But uh, we are we are gas heated and, uh, uh, and and I think gas hot water in one of the units. But the point is, the point is that, you know, mandates get mentioned and, uh, and and they have to be negotiated. And I don't think mandates is always the best way to go. But I say to you, because you understand labor and labor negotiations, the other side starts off and says, I'm in a position, we're going to do a mandate. Then you have to push back and say, well, wait a second, let's talk about this. Mandates don't work. Don't work for electric cars. Don't work for don't work on the gas deal. And the electric car thing, I know I'm being a bit long winded, you know, a new automobile. And frankly, used automobiles often the second largest purchase any homeowner or, or a citizen makes next to, you know, next to buying a house, a car is the next biggest investment. So the idea that we're going to say that at a given date, uh, gasoline vehicles no longer can be purchased. What does that do to investments that people made in buying cars? So suppose and, and what happens? It just so, you know. I think the marketplace has to dictate on this stuff. I think the marketplace is dictating. And uh, I go back to our last show I mentioned to you. If we had a federal energy policy, if we could all get on the same page here, then we could figure out where we're going. But we don't have that. So we're down to a, a couple of refineries on the East Coast at most. We're subject to flow of gasoline from, from out of the country in large part, especially serving the Northeast. What happens in a national crisis, a national emergency? How about moving, moving the military? Is anybody thinking we're going to move military vehicles to all electric by, night, by 2033 in remote places in the desert? Uh, with portable charging stations. I mean, look, it could all come at some point, but we have to be realistic. And we have to say, like, like you said, you said it correctly. Nobody's against progress, advancements. It'll all come. But uh, I think the marketplace has to dictate. And if I would say to you, you know, if you could get to 30 percent of the car, if you get to China to, to and India to participate in trying to save the environment, we'd be way ahead of the game because America is doing, doing its part plus. Absolutely. In fact, the, the progress, we've gone to the number one uh, country in the world in regards to you know fighting emissions, okay, low carb, um, and then of course in one year, a lot of our, our foreign countries ate up all the progress we made. But let me just say one thing, and you make you make some great points. I totally agree, agree and understand in a sense, you know, gra you know, uh, getting a negotiating uh, stance. Okay, we'll go for the extreme and then we negotiate back, and that way at least we got. A, you know, a good position to start with. But a lot of these mandates have consequences, okay? And you look at what California is doing, and, and I think there's over a dozen states that automatically opt into a lot of their policies. And so, you know, you have, you know, for, for example, um, a lot of our, you know, our refineries, our traditional energy industries seek investment. These mandates impact that investment. They lose all kinds of potential there. So there are impacts on this. When you talk to the public, and we had a, uh, this is, you know, as a political leader, a longtime political leader, um, this, this I'm sure hits home. And this is really one thing that's that's um, confusing. OK, we had a pollster on a recent broadcast, Stephen Hankin of Lincoln Park Strategies, that did uh, work for Central Democrat, Centrist Democrats of America on this topic. And we discussed it and he polled New Jersey specifically. And there was an overwhelming uh, there was an overwhelming support for electric vehicles, but overwhelming opposition against mandates and 
one of the things that people are saying is we have so many more important issues. The environment's an important issue, no question about it. But using this as a strategy. Now, the governor barely won his re-election, re okay? Um, and given the last election cycle and the polling, you would think that, that, that he would reject an extreme policy, um, but he's doubled down. He's doubling down on it. What, what do you think about his stance in regards to politics in general, noting that the, that the general public is not passionate about the mandates? Well, look, you know, I consider Governor Murphy uh, to be a friend. I disagree with him on a number of policy issues, uh, but never to the point about to being disagreeable. I mean, I, I support some stuff and the other stuff I don't support. When I was in a state house, that was my position. The same way with Christie and Corzine and McGreevy and 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 uh, and uh, Governor Cody. I mean, I served with five different governors. So, you know, these things are tricky. Uh, I think the governor and the immediate people around him are true believers. And you have to take that into consideration and you have to respect another person's opinion. I don't agree with that, with with the timing and and and, and the kind of pace that that he would take us at. And, you know, and I don't know that he is that he is the driver of how to pace this on negotiations. Maybe others around him are. So he's a true believer. Uh, I respect that. I don't I, I don't I don't fall in line with that exact position. Uh, and, uh, you know, my real world experience tells me that, you know, uh, we need a balance of everything. I've said it on this show before. We need wind. We need solar. We need nuclear and we need and we need oil and we need natural gas. What that final mix is, who knows? The market will dictate. But it might say market will dictate as I, you know, in conversation. A gallon of gasoline takes an automobile further today than it ever did in the history of internal combustion engines. The cars are running cleaner. The great, the great ozone layer hole in the ozone layer, whatever that was, seems that you know that that you know that got put on, on a, you know, got taken care of apparently. Uh, and again, I repeat, America is doing its part. Cars are cleaner. Emissions from generation plants are cleaner. And our federal policy is lagging in our relationships with China and India, and making the case to those people that look. You know, we can't do this by ourselves. We got winds are blowing from China into California. And maybe that's why California is so goofy in the rules they make. Uh, maybe it's the air they're breathing. I don't know. But 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 the point is, the point is we're, we can't be isolationists in, in, in this in this environmental in this environmental uh, equation. And uh, and America can't bear the whole thing. And Joe, as far as the electric cars go, because I know I drive a Tesla and I have a Toyota Camry. I have both. I have nine fire trucks that get three miles to the gallon. So I always tell Mike Karlovich, I'm doing my part with refinery with refinery uh, uh, economics. So uh, buying plenty of plenty of, of various products. But the point is, you know, it, this stuff finds its place. There, there, there are there are places I prefer it to be in the Camry. If I'm going if I'm going towards Altoona, Pennsylvania, for example, to uh, you know to to to, to a railroad in, in the hinterlands, I take a gasoline car. If, if I'm going to Newport, Rhode Island, I'll run the electric car because I know what the charging circumstances are. That's my choice. Uh, and, uh, and and choice is important, I think. So man, uh, mandates, I think, uh, again, you got to be pay attention to them because you have a governor saying something. It means something. I think Delaware has the same mandate at 2045. Uh, so, so, you know, so, you know, that, that that the leader of that state, both states have sent a benchmark. And now it's up to people to say, to get into the mix and say this is what really should happen and this is what's in our best interest. In, in PA, Governor Shapiro is is, is uh, engaging uh, a, a number of entities on the issue: labor, okay, traditional yep. energy, uh, and and our renewable industry, and our environmentalists, and, and in a sense, putting putting people in a room and trying to work out the 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 issues. One of the things that we profess, John, is that listen. Um, Work, work together. Let the top people across the board work on these solutions. Uh, you know, you talk about uh, natural gas, which has been a, a huge part of the emissions reduction in our country. Um, and, you know, our thought process is if we can uh, work together, take, you know, on, on uh, uh, you know, technologies like carbon capture in, in, in uh, a lot of our other areas of traditional energy, um, we can make this happen. Organized labor. And the reason I... I, I get and I absolutely understand, you know, the politics and and, you know, the, the, you know, the, the fact that, you know, we can all, we're, we're, our plan is to negotiate this. But organized labor, when, when you think about these mandates um, and, you know, you and I have talked about the, the you know, you mentioned the automobiles and um, having choice and that's such a big deal. But when you think about the supply chain and I mentioned this to Joe Krause at the beginning of the show, the supply chain is owned by China. OK. Uh, they, you know, it, and that goes with solar panels. Okay, and that's an industry we created. And in a sense, um, when we mandate um, automobiles, okay, to uh, to be EV, even when we even discuss it, okay, and but not only that, we follow in in a, a policy that California 
is is leader in. Um, you then, in a sense, you look at um, the supply chain right now. If 10% of our cars are are EVs, um, they own the supply chain, manufacturing, uh, wholesale distribution, mining, all the, and we all seen the, uh, the the child slave labor that's going on in the Congo. Uh, it's not a secret. It's been on video. We had Sid Harth Carrot on the program. But my point is, organized labor is sitting there. You know, we're looking at a workforce, and we're looking at it going down the tubes and handing it directly over. I I get the the in in a sense the negotiation strategies. But like you said, there's a lot of people that are completely bought in on this. Okay, and it's a it's a, a nerve wracking game to play when you look you're you're looking at handing an entire industry of which, by the way, we're an entire auto industry. I mean, we, you know, Japan is, we know what they, you know, what their position and what their part of the industry is. Now we're taking the EV industry and putting it on a, a, a silver platter uh, for China. Uh, and and, and what, what is your thought on that in regards to uh, working people? Because once they, you know, a lot of people are, are, are just thinking about the environment and what is, 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 you know, on the surface. But you look at the supply chain and, and China's ownership of it, it's a scary thing. Well, Joe, you, you, you know, you're, you're touching on an issue that we won't solve from New Jersey State House, nor will I solve sitting here in Paulsboro. Right. Uh, but, you know, as America moved to a global economy, the American middle class was sacrificed by, 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 the, by the corporate entities that wanted us to have access to inexpensive global labor. So in, in America's trade policies that took us to a global economy, it did not require the, the, the places we went to to rise to an American middle class standard. And so the playing field has been un unlevel and unequal in everything with regards to manufacturing. This, this present Washington administration talks about bringing manufacturing back and there are signs that there, there is some success. Uh, and it's going to be tricky to do that, but it has to happen. I mean, you see what happened during a pandemic when, when goods and services, when goods couldn't get into the country, when ships couldn't be found. You see the pressure that China is now pressing on to Taiwan, which manufactures the most ships anywhere and could easily be swallowed up by China in an afternoon if China really wanted to do that. Uh, and, you know, there, there's a great deal hanging there. So, so you know, again, you heard me use the term several times on this show. You know, the federal government and its policies have failed America's middle class in many respects. Uh, and, 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 and in some respects, things are better. But in many respects, it's a greater challenge for the middle class to flourish because because the way middle class America made its money, made, fed its families, you know, has seen it's gone away. Look at Buffalo, New York and the loss of population there. And look at places in Ohio. We have examples in New Jersey. So when jobs leave, you know, earning income leaves and a lot of things leave with it. So, you know, you talk about, you know, the electric car industry. That's just one piece. I mean, you, know, you have so many industries that are different places. And watch what's happening now with with people moving moving into Mexico with regard to some of these jobs uh, to, you know, to take advantage of the trade agreement between Mexico and America. So, you know, that, you know, that's a Washington issue. And, uh, you know, an old, an old an old timer who since passed away taught me a lesson when I was very young. And it took me years to understand exactly what he said to me. But he said, John, you're going to find that in the end, the environment we're living in is is the corporations. The corporations have seized the government and the lawyers have seized the language. And uh, and and as time passes, you know, you see more and more of that. So, you know, why is all the stuff taking place in China? Cost of labor first, number one. And this is a labor based show. But that, you know, and, and, and now you see stuff leaving China because in some cases, the Chinese people were, wanted more money, wanted to be paid more. Uh, and, and that government's had trouble getting their arms around it. So now we're, you know, we're off to Vietnam. We're off to different places and names you can't produce. But, you know, uh, we're not going to solve that today. In the short term, state by state, we have to decide these policies that, uh, you know, the fact that people that, that are still working and still here and uh, make their living here. And uh, and I go back and just say very simply, mandates, mandates is not a way a democracy should govern. And having said that, and this I've said this on the Labor Show 100 times, Donald Trump's still on, on, on the front page of the news, but he built his momentum in his first debate when he talked about NAFTA and bringing our, you know, nobody ever talked about bringing, you know, stopping NAFTA and bringing our jobs and our and, and, and our factories back. Immediately, he got the rank and file labor members, you know, they looked at it and like, OK, I'm there. There's something I don't hear very often. Yep. So that really makes a difference. Do you think, John, do you think and I, I, I had that. I, uh, we, we had a Congressman Norcross on the program, a law, one of our first shows, and I asked him when we were talking about the RFS and RINs, what his colleagues thought about, you know, that issue. And, and you know, we had national security issues there. Um, and he said he didn't think 
that they understood or were educated on the issues. Correct. You obviously are. And when you come out and you oppose a, a, a policy or a mandate, it's not because you're just trying to be political. You have educated yourself on this, on these issues. Do you think it, it's going to take, you know, a lot of these people that have, you know, have, have, have are drinking the Kool-Aid, um, you know, hook, line and sinker uh, need to be educated more and understand the details and the facts of the things that are going on so that we can all work together on common sense solutions. Yeah. And, and, and Joe, look, I, I, I think the, the, the best way to start conversations on these issues is to is not to use the word no uh, and, and to recognize that, the, that there are multiple opinions here and to be well positioned to make the case for your opinion, whatever that opinion is. Uh, I don't think a person can win the argument that there should be a mandate of 2035 on EVs other than to set an artificial time frame to force discussion, because there are a lot of reasons why it won't work. Um, now, is, is there something to strive for? Can you make the case? I, I suppose you can make the case. I happen to think I happen to think as, a, as a, just a citizen, uh, I want balance uh, because America is best when America has, has options to go to in times of crisis. And so having everything in one place is not in our interest, in my mind. And that includes energy and includes everything for that matter. Uh, you know, we always have to have a place to turn to. If, if our, our, our plan A doesn't work, we got to have a plan B. A lot of times you got to have a lot more plans than just B. So, again, we, we have to we have to educate and we have to be confident uh, in what we understand to be facts. And then we also have to keep an open mind to the people we're negotiating with, uh, because you'll win the day uh, by being persistent. Doesn't hurt to be polite where you can, but persistence carries the day if the facts are on your side. John, I want to thank you so much for joining us uh, again on the Labor and Energy Show. Uh, we obviously appreciate your time and your insight, and and uh, we look forward to having you on again. And and of course, uh, best wishes in the upcoming race. Look forward to having you back in office. Joe, thank you. Uh, welcome back to the Labor and Energy Show here on the Jacob Media Network. I'm ecstatic to bring into the broadcast Jim Appleton. Uh, Jim is the president of the New Jersey Coalition of Automotive Retailers, NJ Carr, if you will. Jim, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's it's our pleasure. And and, and uh, we've talked a, a lot about on our broadcast um, these EV mandates. And we've said, you know, and I, I think I've seen on your website, we're totally supportive of electric vehicles. Okay. I mean. You know, a lot of our friends have them. They're great. Um, it, it, but the mandates coming with them uh, are an issue. And they're an issue in a lot of areas. Um, before we get into that, um, if you will, tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, the organization and who you represent. Yeah, sure. Um, NJ Car is the statewide trade association that represents all of the franchised new car and truck dealers in the state. Obviously, all those dealers, you know, the Toyota, the Honda, the Chevrolet dealers all sell used cars as well. But these aren't the independent used car dealers. These are the franchise new car dealers, uh, 500 rooftops across the state, uh, 35,000 men and women uh, earn their living uh, directly from dealerships in this state. Uh, many of those union jobs, of course, uh, good paying jobs, can't be outsourced, can't be shipped overseas. Uh, neighborhood new car dealers are the economic engine on Main Street. It's a $40 billion a year industry in the state of New Jersey alone. And so having said that, um, you know, New Jersey is officially proposing to adopt California's proposal to ban the sale of new gasoline powered cars in 2035. OK, uh, we have a lot to, to discuss. But first, can you give me um, the, the auto dealers perspective on this proposal? Your members? Sure. Perspective? Yeah, let, let me just uh, correct uh, something and give a little context, you know, maybe walk down memory lane here. We we signed on to the California plan 15 years ago. So New Jersey has been operating under the original California low emission vehicle plan for the last 15 years. And oh, by the way, we've never hit the percentage mandates that CARB, the California Resources Board, which actually controls the car market in New, New Jersey now, uh, we've never hit the CARB mandates. And as a result of that, uh, automakers uh, and the consumers who do business with uh, uh, legacy automakers um, have forked over a billion to $2 billion a year in penalties and to buy um, credits 
from a non-union company, Tesla, um, and to support uh, the Tesla buyers and the Tesla owners across uh, the U.S. by subsidizing uh, the price of the vehicles that they purchase. So we're already knee deep in the CARB program and have been for years. Uh, the uh, EV mandates, which uh, the DEP has proposed re-upping on, re-signing re, uh, re to the CARB plan, would kick in in 2026. Uh, right now, the EV market is about 9%, uh, and it's pretty much hit the plateau at this point in time. And they were predicting 25%, correct? The mandate is for 25%. As uh, of right so now. Yeah. So we're not halfway home to the existing mandate. And they're talking about ramping up in 2026 to 35%. And of course, by 2035, uh, the mandate is to be 100%. So you know, let me be clear. The franchise new car and truck dealers, the neighborhood new car dealers that I represent are all in on electric vehicles. Um, they've spent this year alone probably $150 million in infrastructure, training, equipment, tools to prepare for this um, uh, transformation. Uh, but the governor's proposal, the California rule, is obviously too much too fast. Um, you know, I like to say New Jersey will be 100% EV when consumers decide, not when government decides. Uh, and at this point in time, consumers are voting with their pocketbooks uh, to purchase um, hybrid vehicles, which are a great solution for most drivers. Uh, and uh, plug-in hybrids um, and internal combustion engine vehicles are still the overwhelming majority of the market. Um, you know, dealers subscribe to an all the above strategy when it comes to uh, transportation. Uh, not everybody is a good candidate to drive an electric vehicle. I happen to drive an electric vehicle I have for the last three years, and I love it. Um, I leave the house every day with 300 miles of charge, and I rarely have to uh, go to a public charging station. But the rare occasions when I do have to go to a public charging station, it's a problem uh, because the infrastructure isn't readily available. And at this point in time, it's not reliable. Uh, and so if I lived in a multiple unit dwelling in Camden or Newark or, or, or any other um, um, community across the state where I didn't have the option of charging at home, uh, an electric vehicle just isn't a good solution uh, for me. On the other hand, uh, if I were to uh, own a hybrid uh, or a plug-in hybrid, um, I'd be able to um, uh, make my daily commute and 90, 80% of the rides that I take uh, carbon emission free. Uh, and so I think this the public policy is a, you know, a classic example of allowing perfect to become the enemy of good. Yeah. And, and, and certainly uh, when, you, when you think about it, um, you know, there are so many potential solutions. We, we have talked about, uh, uh, first of all, the mandates, they have so many effects, so many impacts that people, it's not just as simple as, uh, you know, we're going to you know, be driving I do say, you know, it's not just about the cars. Okay, there's so many industries. There's so many, but our so our, our position is okay. Um, let's educate the people on the details. Let's work on solutions together, common sense solutions. Okay, so you know when we talk about these issues, uh, it, it, it gets a little confusing um, when you're when you're uh, when you're talking about uh, you, you know just doing the mandate. By the way, we've we've brought in. Uh, you know, it, polling organization leaders who have talked about the, the general public has a very, especially even in J New Jersey, who, who have talked about these um, these situations. Every, you know, there's everybody's uh, for uh, you know electric vehicles. Nobody's not, uh, but they're the general public, at least in the polls that we've had. Okay, that we've with the in individuals that we've brought on the program say that the, the general public feels strongly that there's other more important issues than mandates. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you think that the general public understands um, the impacts and the consequences of EV mandates, um, you know, as they exist right now? You talked about, um, uh, you know, we've already been involved. We've already, New Jersey has already been a part of the California uh, initiative since 2016. How many people do you think, Jim, if we knocked on our neighbor's doors, okay, understand we're aware of that, number one, Number two, understand the penalty because the people chose not to buy. You know, and like you've said, and you said it in the article on your website, the public will uh, will will, will uh, determine when they want to buy them, and of course, the process. 
Um, how, talk about what you think in regards to the college. I, yeah, I, I mean, I think this is one of those examples. It's, you know, uh, it's a slow burn. Um, you know, if I knocked on doors and I asked about inflation, everybody would tell me it hurts. Everybody would tell me they're aware of it. Everybody would tell me they're suffering. The number one uh, driver of inflation today is new and used car sales. Uh, and um, that has a lot to do with supply chain disruptions, obviously, but it also has a lot to do with these mandates. Um, the vehicles uh, that are being sold and the cost structure uh, for the vehicles that are being sold has been substantially affected over the last several years by government uh, policies, and they're about to get affected even more. Our biggest concern about this mandate is that affordability uh, is the biggest problem in the car business today. Um, you know, it used to be for the last 20 years, working in middle class families could afford to buy or lease a new car. Um, I'm concerned that if these mandates, and I'll explain how in a moment, but if these mandates are put in place, uh, a new vehicle will be out of reach for most working and middle class families in New Jersey. And the reason is that if you have a uh, top line sales number, let's say New Jersey is pre-COVID was a half a million vehicles uh, a year sales. If automakers have to ship into the state, 35% of their vehicles in 2026 have to be battery electrics, and that ramps up to 100% by 2035. What do you think is going to happen to that top line number? In order to meet that 35%, they're going to have to bring that top line number down. So let's say instead of a half a million cars a year, we're 400,000. Now that's going to affect jobs. That's going to affect the economy. That's going to affect sales tax revenues for the state. But more importantly, what it's going to do is it's going to continue what we've seen over the last couple of years, which is the inflationary impact of inventory shortages. And the higher those EV mandates go, the more pressure uh, there's going to be on inventory. Uh, the manufacturers will ship into the state only the most expensive high trim level vehicles. Uh, and again, my concern is that not only will these mandates affect choice, consumer choice, which is never a good thing. Dealers want to sell what consumers want to buy. But more importantly, it's going to exacerbate the existing affordability crisis that we see in the marketplace. And that's just going to throw rocket fuel on this inflation. What's interesting also is, um, and I was obviously on your website, but Let's also talk about a consequence. Uh, we'll take your sales. I'm in Pennsylvania, right? And I guess what I'm saying is they'll just go out of state. Your dealers have to be jumping up and down when it comes to that. You might mandate them, uh, but New Jersey, you know, is not on an island when it comes to that. Is there a big concern of, of losing business? Yeah, look, you know, interestingly, you know, your profiles in political courage, right? I mean, the governor's proposal doesn't say you can't buy an EV. It says the manufacturers can't ship them into the state and therefore the dealers won't be able to sell them. Um, so a governor stands in, in, in front of the public and says, I'm not prohibiting the sale of EVs. And that's kind of true, but it's a uh, purposeful misrepresentation of what's going to take place here. So, yeah, consumers can go into Pennsylvania or they go cross country to, to, uh, you know, to Kansas and they can buy the internal combustion engine vehicle of their choice and they can register it here in New Jersey and they can continue to drive that uh, vehicle and we get no environmental benefits. So what we're doing is we're ticking the box because we're a carb state, but we're not really doing anything to affect consumer behavior. And what's what's really concerning and what what I think is is the the unintended consequence of of this type of mandate is that you know, the average age of a car on the road today is already 12 and a half years. Um, what do you think is going to happen when the affordability crisis kicks in and when consumer choice is limited? Uh, they're going to hold on to those cars even longer. Uh, and when they hold on to those cars even longer, um, the touted environmental and expected environmental benefits of a uh, carb mandate never are uh, never come to fruition. Let me ask you a question because you bring up something and it just came to my mind. Um, what about used cars? In other words, um, you make a great point. Okay, people are going to be holding on to the cars longer. Will it, in, in for example, New Jersey? Will it? Will it? Um, you know, kick up the used cars purchases. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. That's what we've seen, you know, in, in the in the inventory constraints we've experienced uh, post-COVID because of supply chain disruptions. What the manufacturers have learned is that uh, they can raise MSRP three, four, five times on new cars. And as new cars become more uh, profitable for the manufacturers uh, and for the dealers too, um, they become less affordable for consumers who are pushing would-be new car buyers into the used car market. The law of supply and demand tells us that those used car values are going to skyrocket as well. Again, new and used cars are the leading cause of inflation in this country. Uh, and the uh, government mandates around EVs are a contributing factor. I'm not saying they're the reason, but they are a major contributing factor. And so uh, talk about the loss of tax revenues and, 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 and you know, when people buy cars out of state, okay? Um, you know, that's another impact that we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, well, and, and no, when they buy a car out of state, if they register it here in New Jersey, they pay sales tax. Uh, but here's something you and your, your viewers and listeners may not be aware of. Um, you don't pay sales tax on an EV. So when we get to 100% EVs in this state, all that sales tax revenue, $1.5 billion a year in sales tax revenue disappears. Um, so, you know, we're going to have to address that. And oh, by the way, uh, EVs don't pay gas taxes. Gas taxes fund the Transportation Trust Fund, which creates jobs and, and uh, ensures that the roads and bridges in, in this state are, are safe to travel on. Uh, and so that um, has to be addressed, the depletion of funds in the Transportation Trust Fund. And also, let me give you your uh, listeners one other thing to, to, to ponder. Um, an electric vehicle is 1,000 to 2,000, depending on the battery size, pounds heavier than an internal combustion engine vehicle. Uh, I happen to live in the Lambertville area, and when I drive across that old rickety bridge between Lambertville and New Hope uh, on a Saturday or a Sunday, it's literally bumper to bumper both sides. Uh, that bridge probably cannot sustain the weight that would be associated with an all-EV marketplace. So the Transportation Trust Fund is losing funding, but the demands on its, uh, its resources are going to grow exponentially over the next few years. Jim? Here in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania, you know, I mean, I don't know, the, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative is an initiative that a lot of states opted in. Um, and uh, Pennsylvania has been, you know, going back and forth and there's a huge fight here. New Jersey is a part of it already. Um, and my, my one of the things that some of our labor leaders have said, uh, Rob Baer, who's been on his program, who's the uh, president of the Pennsylvania Building and Construction Trades, um, has said, that he felt like, you know, why he, we have so many uh, natural energy resources here in Pennsylvania, okay, with the Marcella Shale um, and everything we got going, why would we opt into somebody else's energy policy, okay? Uh, it, it seems in, in a sense, you know, I mean, I, I realized that, um, that a number of states have opted into California's uh, policies, but have you, you know, what, what is your thought on creating New Jersey's own uh, energy policy in, in regards to emissions and all those things. Well, look, uh, elections have consequences, and we have an we have a uh, energy policy here in the state. Uh, it's been set by this governor and the BPU, uh, and we have energy policy. Um, you may not like it. Um, I may have concerns about it, but we have energy policy. Um, it's it's wind. It's renewables. It's uh, transition from um, fossil fuels. To internal uh, to uh, to uh, renewable energy sources, whether that is doable, whether it's economically feasible, uh, that's way above my pay grade. I'm I'm a car guy, right? I mean, you know, I I I can't tell you about that, but I I can tell you this much in in the uh, the the world that I live in, 14 states that account for 40 percent of all U.S. vehicle sales have opted in to the CalEV program. The automakers have invested hundreds of billions of dollars in designing and retooling uh, to build electric vehicles. This ship has sailed. Um, uh, the vehicles, um, government mandates can force manufacturers to build and the manufacturers will force the dealers to take those vehicles. Uh, but none of the policies that the governor or any of the other uh, public policymakers have proposed so far uh, are going to make consumers buy something they don't want. 
and so I think we've got a long way to go before the consumers catch up with uh, this uh, this uh, radical uh, government policy. Uh, and I think there are there are some some uh, uh, calmer voices uh, that hopefully will eventually prevail in this debate. Uh, take for example Toyota, uh, and I don't typically single out a, a manufacturer, but I'll say Toyota has had a, um, a decades-long commitment to uh, hybrid vehicles and now plug-in hybrid vehicles with a vision for a gradual transition uh, from internal combustion engine only to a uh, appropriate mix of battery and fuel cells, uh, which are another option that, that will be developing down the road, and hybrid vehicles, um, but government has uh, decided on an all or nothing at all policy. And as I say, this is really a great example of um, uh, you know, perfect being the enemy of good. Uh, there are very sensible um, you know, middle of the road, um, gradual solutions to this problem that the industry and engineering and the energy sector can all come together uh, to make happen. Uh, but um, the political will doesn't exist right now to do that. That's a, gr a great point that you make. And common sense and actually you you talk about uh, you know uh, common sense isn't so common exactly so when you talk about a world uh, with um, solar and wind and all them nobody's fighting it okay we know it's but just flicking a switch and not and pretending like you know if you hide yourself under the covers that we're you know we're not going to need our traditional energy resources to support the renewables okay so many things that are just not being talked about um, and and this is a by, by the way this a trend that we're talking about that, that the auto industry is going through is exactly what so many other in industries are going through. Uh, and your point is, is well made. And, and I like that perfect, uh, you know, being the enemy of good. We have about 30 seconds, Jim, uh, any, any closing thoughts uh, as we move forward and continue this conversation? No, look, I, again, I, I would say that, uh, you know, we, the DEP has proposed this regulation. It's not a surprise. Uh, we've got 60 days uh, for comment. Uh, I urge your listeners and the, uh, uh, we've been urging the members of the legislature uh, to roll up their sleeves and to comment. Uh, you know, again, if, if the DEP is hell-bent on adopting this regulation, which we think would be a mistake, uh, then they ought to be forced to write into the regulation a midterm review. So that when we get to 2026 or 2027, we take another look at all this. Because something we haven't talked about at all is while the CARB and the, the DEP in New Jersey are proposing this new rule, uh, the federal EPA is also proposing a new rule, which is significantly more stringent than the existing federal program. And uh, you've got to question whether or not uh, New Jersey should be continuing with CARB when there is another alternative, which they have not looked at. Uh, in the offing, so um, you know, let's uh, let's let's slow the roll at the DEP. And if your listeners uh, are inclined to do so, they should participate in this rulemaking process by filing comments. And 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 the comment period started, I believe, this week, right? Started on uh, Monday, uh, and it'll run for sixty days. So sometime in October, um, the comment period will be over. And by the way, we have an election coming up in November. Uh, we've urged uh, those who are running for re-election uh, in this legislative cycle to, uh, to to make their voices heard as well, because we think this is a classic example of regulators sidelining uh, elected officials uh, to uh, adopt policies which uh, are not popular uh, and can't be sustained. Jim Appleton, President, New Jersey Coalition of Automotive Retailers. We want to thank you for being our guest on the Labor and Energy Show. Well, thanks for asking me. Take care. It's our pleasure. We're going to have more from the Labor and Energy Show in just a minute. I'm back here on the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. Boy, we only have a couple of minutes left, Jay Doc and Jim Appleton, the president of the New Jersey Coalition of Automotive Retailers, said a lot. Boy, there was a lot of information that Jim provided, including the staggering amount of money that is generated just in the state of New Jersey by the franchised automotive dealerships throughout the state. Imagine multiplying that by the number of states in this country. It is absolutely incredible. Great job. Great conversation with you and Jim. Yeah, you know, you can hear uh, in, in Jim Appleton's voice um, and he was doing everything he could to be, you know, obviously uh, you know, professional, not, not trying to um, you know, wake up sleeping giants. He, he knows that um, we depend on our politics, but um, these extreme uh, initiatives 
are confusing. Uh, and what I, I love the one thing he said was, um, he talked about hybrids and how what great solutions, but he also talked about, um, you know, an extreme left uh, creating a situation where perfect is the enemy of good. And uh, that is a quote that I think we're going to hold on to because, um, and you also, you know, you know, you heard he talked about uh, there's a, a public comment period on the plan to ban the sale of gas powered cars uh, by 2035 in New Jersey. Uh, and, and, and I profess that everybody Googles that and, 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 and gives your comments. We know the general public, like you, you and I talked about when we had Stephen Hankin on, we all support, we all support um, electric vehicles, but we, the mandates are just, you know, you know, people don't support them. Let, you know, let's come up with, with a group of our, our leadership and all of our uh, areas, labor, energy, uh, auto, uh, political, uh, you know, renewables, environmental, and come up with really common sense solutions. And by the way, what he talked about, the, the hybrids, they're great solutions. So, um, and so many other areas, so many other people get injured. Well, in the words, Jay Doc, of Jim Appleton from this interview, common sense, not so common. Yeah, no question about it, Joe. And, and you and I know because it's our it's it's really the um, mantra of the show. And that is uh, common sense and energy, learning the, the details, coming up with common sense solutions. You, t- you, you heard him talk about, uh, you know, the, the, the solar and the wind and all those. And and it's a, it's a stereotypical conversation. We all support those initiatives. Can't you swick a. A, a switch like Brandon Williams of PBF Energy says, and 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 think that the trans that's the transition. It's not. People aren't going to be happy until the general public gets uh, bitten the butt, and and we can't turn our air conditioners on. Uh, and certainly, you know, there's a lot here, and we look forward to continuing the conversation. No doubt about that. Special thanks to our listeners and our viewers for tuning in to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause, and a very big special thanks to our two guests today, Jay Doc, who. Uh, We're both very informative, two very good segments uh, with a reminder for our audience that you can re-listen or re-watch this broadcast. Go to Apple or Spotify, search the Labor and Energy Show. 30 seconds, Jay Doc, and then I've got to say goodbye. I just encourage our listeners to, uh, and and by the way, you know, um, know, we've had the the American fuel petrochemical manufacturers send us information on this, uh, you know, Get involved in the public comment period on the plan to ban sale of gas-powered cars in New Jersey. Let your voice be heard. We already know that the general we su- we support uh, electric vehicles, no question. We don't support the mandates. They're unnecessary and they cause more problems than they're worth. Uh, our left hand is writing checks. Our right hand, our right hand can cash. Go to Google and get involved in the public comment uh, period of the gas-powered cars in Jersey. Uh, you know, our, our lives and in, in, in the impact on our lives depends on it. The Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show uh, with J. Doc and Krause. Stay tuned for our next edition or re-listen to one of our previous shows. We've had so many great shows with lots of information. We continue on our objective to educate the public. On behalf of my partner, J. Doc, I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. 